do a great job. I'm so proud of them. So thankful for Pastor Mike and Krista for investment they make in our young people. All of our youth leaders, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the time you invest in our kids. So we appreciate that. Hey, this morning it is Palm Sunday. Can you believe it? It's like Easter snuck up on us, I think. It's already Palm Sunday. Next week is Easter. It's a big event. It's here. And so this morning what I want to do is we kind of started this battle-ready um, sermon series a few weeks ago. And I just want to continue that. And what we said by battle-ready, the premise was is a lot of times we chalk things up in life to, well, that's just life, Right? Um, you're just an anxious person. You come by it naturally. Your mom was anxious. You're anxious. Or you're fearful. It's just, it's naturally, just, it's just who you are. And we say that. It's just who I am. And we need to wake up and recognize that it's not just who you are, that you are in a spiritual battle. We ignore the fact that we're in a spiritual battle so oftentimes that we chalk it up to this is just life. Well, I'm sick and tired of saying, well, this is just life. No, you're in a spiritual battle. The enemy is feeding you these lies, and then you take these lies, and you live these, life at, these lies out as truth. You say, well, you're just no good. Your grandpa's no good. Your dad's no good. You're no good. What are you? You just, well, I'm just no good. And we think that's all I will ever be. And it's an attack from the enemy saying, this is who you are. And we believe the lie. And so we've been saying, okay, let's be battle ready. Let's start seeing what the world says who we are. Identifying the lies in our life, because there's a lot of lies in our life that we promote as truth. And in doing that, we make our own self-made prison. We walk into that prison, we shut the door, and it's our own doing. And so let's wake up. Let's realize the lies that's going on, identify them, and combat them. We've got to engage in the war that we're in. Last week we talked about engaging the war that we in. The lie, the lie is, I don't feel God. The lie is, you sit through a service like this, we had power of worship, we had a great time of celebration, and you feel nothing. You're like, God, I don't feel you. Well, last week we learned it's a lie because we're going to have faith over feelings, aren't we? That we're not going to believe the lies, because what? The Word says, His Spirit dwells within me. Come on, that's truth. The lie of the enemy wants you to say, well, you don't feel God. You must have messed up this week. Or I know you had that one thought, so that knocks you out. You had a contention of feeling God this week, so maybe next week. Let's quit believing the lies of the enemy and understand this is who we are. God says, I am love. God says, I am worthy. God says, I am valued. God says, his spirit dwells inside of me. This is who we are. And so going into Palm Sunday, like this is not an Easter message. You're true. You're right. This is probably not the best Easter message. But think about it. Palm Sunday, what was happening? Jesus is going in Jerusalem. He's weeping over Jerusalem. He understands what's coming. Disciples are still not really understanding what all is happening. But what happens is there's a celebration, right? Because by now, a lot of people have bought into the, the, the thinking, this is the Messiah, Right? There's been lots of so-called messiahs. There's messiahs after Jesus. But everybody's starting to buy in. Well, this might be the one. I've been hearing miracles. I've been seeing testimonies. This might be the one. And so there's a great celebration. He comes into Jerusalem. Yes, this is what we've been wanting. He's coming to Jerusalem to kick out the Roman government. He's going to establish rule right here. We're going to rule with him. So there's excitement. Like this is it. The stars are aligning. This is going to happen. 
And then it ends up going way bad, real quick, right? By the end, we see him hanging on a cross. Can you imagine the lies the enemies were feeding the people right then? Oh, you just thought you had the one. You just thought he was Messiah. He really wasn't God. He was just, he was pretending. And so you know the lies had to be coming in, had to tell them, deceiving them, saying, this is, this is not the Messiah. You were wrong. You know they had to be the lowest of the low. And so I think it is important today we're going to identify another lie that enemy tries to tell us. Because my goal for this, this series is you will still have to deal with this after this series is over. The rest of your life, you're going to be fed lies. But now if we can identify the lies, we can engage with the enemy and say no. No, no, no. No, because this, this is who I am. This is what I am. This is who I will be. This is who is with me. Because if I identify the lies, we gauge an enemy, and we can bat it with that instead of walking into that self-made prison. And so today we're going to talk about the lie that God doesn't hear you. God doesn't care. Because you know this is true. Every one of us said that. Well, God doesn't even hear when I pray to him. He doesn't care about it. He has so much on his plate. He has the nations on his plate. He has the United States on his plate, which is going really south. He has so much to deal with besides my payload problem. So why does he even care about me? He doesn't hear my prayers. As a minister, this is actually one of the most common questions I get. Why doesn't God hear me when I pray? Why doesn't God answer my prayer? I'm sure at some point you've asked God to do something that you know that he could do, that you thought he should do, and he didn't do it. And when that happens, it kind of shakes our faith, doesn't it? And it makes us begin to wonder, why didn't God do what I asked him to do? Especially in light of some of the Bible verses we read. You know, we read in John 14, verses 13 and 14, it says, this is Jesus. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And we see that verse and we're shouting hallelujah, aren't we? Right? Yes, that's it. That's my verse. I'm highlighting that. You know, that's it. You read that verse and you think, okay, well, if I ask in Jesus' name, I know that God can do it, he'll do it. And then we look at the stories like the story of Joshua. Joshua's an incredible story, a great man of faith. Joshua prayed a prayer, the most outlandish prayer, right? God, make the sun stand still. You're like, what? And guess what God does? He freezes the sun. I mean, it's an amazing story. You read stories like that, you're like, yes, that's prayer, right? And then you talk about Daniel and the lion's den. You know, he gets thrown in the lion's den. Daniel prays that God would shut the mouth of the lion's. You're like, yes, yes. So you get pumped up, right? That's it. That's prayer. But then you're thinking, okay, maybe some of you have been praying for healing and nothing's happened. You know God could do it, but he didn't do it. Remember, some of you have that unsaved friend in your life, and you've been praying for that friend, and it seems like the more you pray for that person, the further from God they get. When you know God can save them, but he doesn't, so you end up asking, why doesn't God hear my prayer? Why doesn't God hear me? Why doesn't God care? And when that happens, we start to believe the lies of the enemy, and our prayer life begins to fade. We kind of give up, don't we? You've been there. I've been there. You give up. You're like... 
He doesn't, I don't know, something's wrong with me, something wrong, I don't know. He just doesn't hear me, he doesn't care about my problems. And when that happens, it, it plants that seed of doubt. Before the long, we end up believing the lie. And when we believe that lie, we end up backing up into our prison. And we shut the door and believe, well, this is, this is all it is. I'll always deal with this. I'll always have this in my life. I'll always have that broken relationship. I'll always be this person. I'll have, always have that habit. I'll always, always, and the enemy wins. Because we bought into the lie and we're living the lie out. And when I was working on this sermon, I, I was thinking, it's really easy to buy into this lie, isn't it? It's easy to get down. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get disappointed when God doesn't answer our prayers. But at the same time, your prayers really weren't answered. There wasn't healing. There wasn't freedom. There wasn't restoration. And so one, I want us to identify the lie, the lie that God doesn't hear us, that God doesn't care. But two, I also think it's very important that maybe we answer some of these questions. Because I think when you identify some reasons maybe why God doesn't answer some of our prayers. And I don't want you to think I'm being arrogant because I'm not at all, but I just want to pick out a few definite and specific answers to some situations. Now, I, I can't speak to your situation. I can't speak to all situations. That would be just idiotic for me. But when I think about prayer, here's some things I think happens. I think, one, it's easy to blame, blame, blame the devil. I'm just trying to talk too fast this morning. It's easy to blame the devil sometimes. Well, that's just a lie. Well, it is a lie that God doesn't care, that God doesn't hear us. But we can't always blame the enemy on why God doesn't answer our prayers. So I think it's important that we understand that, yeah, the enemy tries to lie and get us to believe this. But also maybe we do some self-reflection this morning and see why, why our prayers aren't being answered. And so I want to point some, some potential biblical reasons as to why God didn't answer some of our prayers. And the first one is maybe it's a relational problem. Maybe it's a relationship problem. And you're like, Pastor, that's a weird place to start about prayer. But we're going to start there. Because I want to see how our earthly relationship affects our heavenly relationship. That our relationship with other people matters very much with our relationship to God. And still some of you are like, all right, I don't know where he's going. But look at Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it in your prayers, and it will be yours. Come on, we can get behind verse 24, can't we? Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That's what we stand on. We don't like to look any further than this. Because when you go to verse 25, it says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. You're like, ah, oh, really? Come on. Can't we just stop with 24? Why do we got to go 25? Whenever you're praying and stand, stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. So think about that. We're talking about prayer. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe it and receive it, and it will be yours. That's powerful. But, but, if you hold anything against anyone, you've got a damaged relationship. And you should forgive that person so your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. That's difficult, isn't it? And some of us don't ever think about it this way. Jesus is talking about prayer 
And then suddenly he says, oh, hang on a second. Well, we're talking about prayer. If you got an earthly relationship that's not right, let's deal with that first before you pray to me. 1 John 4.20 says it this way, and the Bible is very clear. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Some people go around, oh, I love God, I love God, I love God, but I can't stand that coworker. I love God, I love God, I love God, but I can't stand my neighbor because he doesn't own a lawnmower and doesn't know how to use it. We say we love God all the time, but there's people that we just rub, rub us the wrong way, right? And then yet sometimes you come to church and you're praying and praying and praying and God, it feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and hitting you back on the head. And you're like, what's going on? Must be attacked from the enemy. And it possibly could be. But possibly you just got some dish issues you got to handle on your own before you come to prayer. You got to make it right with that person. You got to forgive them. You got to let it go. God says your earthly relationships impact your heavenly relationships. You can see this in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, chapter 5, Jesus said, you know, if you're going to the altar to offer your gift, so basically, in other words, you're coming to give something as an act of worship, but you get to the altar and you remember, hang on a second, I, I, I'm mad about something at somebody. Jesus says this, says, leave your gift at the altar First go, reconcile the relationship, make it right, then come back and give your gift at the altar. Why? Because your earthly relationships matter to your heavenly relationship. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, okay, okay, Pastor, on a scale of 1 to 10, how mad are we talking here? <laughs> right? Some of you are already calcul making the calculations in your head. Okay, is, this, is, it like, is it like you forgot to take out the trash mad? Or is it like... A coworker stole your credit mad. You know, if you could just put it, you know, the doctor always, don't you love when the doctor asks you this? I always tell Melissa, I'm just saying 10. The doctor says, okay, what's the pain level? I'm like, 10. You know, that gets their attention real quick. But don't you wish it was like that, though? Like, okay, uh, like a, you know, the coworker's still in your lunch. That'd probably be like a four. You're okay there. But if you get up to five, you know, you're going to have to ask for forgiveness. But we have no idea, do we? So the best way we can put this, the best example is, imagine when your kids or your grandkids are fighting. They're in the middle of a screaming fight, and they're just hollering at each other, you touch me, you touch me, this is mine, this is yours, I don't agree, I want this, I want, you know, it's just chaos, right? You know that, your head's about to explode. In the middle of the chaos, they say, oh, hey, can we have ice cream, by the way? How's that go for them? Like, No. Never, ever again will I ever buy you ice cream. That's what you want to say, right? You're lucky you're still breathing at this point. But yet they guys slip in there, oh, by the way, can I have this? By the way, can I have that? You're like, no, why? Because they're fighting, right? Because me as a dad, as a father, I care about how they treat one another. And some level or not, Scripture seems to be very clear that our earthly relationships matter to our heavenly relationships. Why didn't God answer my prayers? Well, maybe you got a relational problem you need to deal with before you come to Him. Second reason, maybe you got hidden motives when you pray. Maybe there's hidden motives. Maybe you got the wrong motives. James 4, 3 says it this way. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So this morning, if you're praying to win a lottery... You say, listen, God, listen, listen, listen. Before you shut me down, you know, I'll, I'll give my 10% to the church. And some of you are really good. You're like, Lord, I'll give you half. 
You know, we're talking about the billion lottery. You, I'll give you half. You know, I'll give you half, and we'll be good to right? You're trying to work out, and God says, well, you're, you might be praying with the wrong motives. You know, in the New Testament, the Pharisees, what would they do when they prayed? Scripture tells us when they prayed, they'd go out to a street corner. Of course, when they'd go to the street corner, they had all the religious garb on. I mean, they were decked out from head to toe with all the religious garb, saying, hey, I am very religious. They'd go to the corner, and they shout their prayers, and they try to come up with the most theologically sound prayer and make it sound so eloquent, and they shout their prayer to everybody around them. Why? Because they're showing up. Why? Because they're praying with the wrong motives. Maybe you're praying with the wrong motives. Now you say, well, but my motives are right. My motives are pure. You know, I've been praying for that promotion at work. You know, it'd be great for my family. It'd be great for our situation. Financially, it'd be great. In the back of your mind, you're like, I can get that new truck. You know, but it'd be great for the family, but I can get that brand new truck. I've already got it picked out. I know what I want. I know what the color interior I want. I got it, you know. But you're praying with the wrong motives. And again, I can't judge your motives, but God can. And here's what Scripture says in Proverbs 16, 2. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that one because we might get a little feely on that one. But, you know, God didn't answer my prayers. Well, maybe it's a relational problem. Maybe there's hidden motives. Thirdly, maybe you don't believe. Maybe you don't believe. Well, I'm a Christian pastor. Well, that don't mean anything. Maybe you don't believe. Mark chapter 9, there's a story about a dad who had a son that was possessed by an evil spirit. As a parent, you probably can understand the turmoil that this parent was going through. And he's like, I'll do anything. So Jesus comes around, this guy's like, sees Jesus and says, hey, if you can do anything, please do it. In verse 22, you see the approach. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. It's funny because as we read this, you, you get the sense maybe Jesus was a little offended by this, right? Because look at verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can, like really? Do you know who you're talking to? If I can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Your faith matters when you pray. Over and over, Jesus said, it was done unto them, what? According to their faith. It was done unto them according to their faith. You pray these little mouth prayers, God heals sister so-and-so, and you don't believe it. Guess what's going to happen? Nothing. Where's your faith? It's impossible. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. But here's the beautiful thing about it. What does the Scripture say about how much faith you need? Just a little bit, right? Just a little bit. If you have just a little bit of faith, you can look at that mountain and say, mountain, move, and that mountain's going to move. If you have a little bit of faith, your faith matters. There's a challenge, though. The challenge is there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who really don't believe God's going to do anything when they pray. And so the lie, the lie creeps in. God's not going to do anything. God's not going to hear me. You know, I, I think I probably told you a story before, but it's a story of the bar owner. The, there's a little church, and down the street, the, the, they built a bar. And when they built the bar, the church got, we got to pray, right? And so they had a prayer meeting. They had a prayer meeting to pray against the bar. Well, it turns out a couple of days later, lightning hits the bar and burns up, right? And so the bar owner knows the church prayed, and so the bar owner sues the church. <laughs> they go to court, Right? And they're standing before the judge, and the, the bar owner is like, they prayed, lightning struck, my bar burnt down, they owe me a bar. 
And it gets to the pastor of the church, and they're like, hang on a second. We were just having an innocent little prayer meeting. It, nothing, nothing we did caused that. And they start arguing, and the judge stops and says, you're telling me, hang on a second, you're telling me I've got a boner that believes in prayer, <laughs> and I've got a pastor who doesn't believe in prayer. Is that the extent of the story? It sounds so silly, but how often do we have people who call themselves Christians who really don't believe in the power of prayer? You can hear it in the way they think. You know, they say things like this. Well, it's really bad. We've done everything we can do. Now all we can do is pray. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Where's the faith in that? Right. There's no faith. And it, oh, it, it's, it's that bad. Now you can just depend on God, really. Really. And I understand. I understand it's difficult in some circumstances. When you go to the hospital and somebody's dying, and you go to pray with them. That checks you real quick. Because that's when the enemy loves to attack. He loves to attack me anyway. He comes in to, you know, and I get ready to pray. And they're like, you know, this person, you heard what the doctor said. You know the outcome is going to be. You know this. The enemy likes to remind us of this. And that's when we get to exercise that little bit of faith. Say, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. But I believe you have the power to do this, and we walk on faith, in faith, believing that God has the power to do this. Here's not what I'm not saying, though. There's a teaching that it's also, it's called Word of Faith teaching. Some of you may know it as a name it, claim it teaching. You know, this is not what I'm talking about. It means, the teaching that means that if you just say the words, you just believe, you have enough faith, that God's going to do whatever you say. You know that brand new truck you're dreaming about? You claim it in the name of Jesus. I claim that brand new truck. Leather interior, heated seats, heated steering wheel. Come on, somebody with me on this prayer. Right? And you claim it in Jesus' name, right? And you have faith believing you're going to get that brand new truck. Come on. That's not what we're talking about this morning. And let me just remind you that God's not your genie in the bottle. doesn't matter how much you rub that bottle. and You, you know, come on. That's not where I'm headed on this. God is there not to serve us, but we're there to serve him. You know, some people get so upset. They're like, why is praying for grandma's healing? I prayed and I prayed and I fasted and I prayed for grandma's healing. Grandma's 101. <laughs> grandma's going to go. Some point. No one's going to outlast death till Jesus comes back. You know, and people get frustrated, though. Truthfully, they get all upset. Just because you have all this faith doesn't mean God's got to do it. But at the same time, I want to say your faith matters. Maybe God didn't answer prayer. Maybe because you're half-hearted, you really, you're like 50-50. It's like, well, maybe you can, maybe you can't. You half-heartedly pray. James 1, 6-8 addresses this. But let me ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For the person that must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Why didn't God answer my prayer? I, I don't know. I can't pretend to answer that for you this morning. Some of the reasons, maybe you've got a relational problem. Maybe your motives quite, aren't quite pure. Maybe you don't believe that God's going to do it. And I want to end with the last one. It's probably probably one of the most difficult ones for us 
is maybe we're not in on the plan. I say difficult, maybe most frustrating one for us, that we're not in on the plan. Maybe God has something different in mind. I hope you know that God's will matters more than our will, right? God's will matters more than our will. Even though we think we know what's best, even though we think our mind is on the right thing, God's will matters the most. 1 John 5, 14-15 says it this way, And this is a confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to what? According to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that, he, that we have the request that we have asked of Him. This is the confidence I, we have in Him. The confidence to know we're asking anything of God outside of His will. This looks good. That job looks good. I, I believe it's God's will for our life. I believe it. I, I want this job. I, I want that. It sounds exciting. This is what I want for my life. Even though we think we know what's best, even though we think we know what's right, even though we're certain this is what God would want us to do, He loves us enough not to give us something that's not according to His will. And this is kind of frustrating for you and I sometimes, isn't it? Like, God, just tell me your will. He doesn't just give us like five, the next five-year plan for your life, doesn't he? I wish he would do that. You know, people always, that's the jobs. I hate it when the job does that. You know, I've been to a few jobs like, list out the next five years. What do you see? I'm like, shut up. You know, I'm like, I'm not God, first of all, you know. But they want that kind of, but I'm like, okay, this is, it's a watch according to God. Let me, let me show you how this plays out. Apostle Paul, everybody knows Apostle Paul. He was a great man of God. He suffered. He said, I have this thorn in my side. And we know that he prayed and prayed about this. We don't know what it was. Some people speculate. They knew, they, whatever. But he just says, there's a thorn in my side. And we know that he prayed and he wrestled with God about this. God, relieve me from this. God, take this away. Did God do it? No, he didn't do it. Instead, God did something different that was not Paul's plan. It wasn't Paul's idea. It wasn't what Paul would have ever picked. God said, in my sovereignty, in this case, I want you to learn that my grace is enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I have to believe Paul would not have liked that answer. Just as much as you would like that answer this morning. But God had something different for him that was in God's sovereign plan for his goodness. And here's a fact of the matter. If you believe God is who he is, that God picked you before the earth was even formed, that God picked you when he knew all the dumb choices you'd make, that God focused his love on you, that God sent his only begotten son this week to walk this path, to, to be the most torturous week of everybody who's ever lived, to go through the crucifixion, to then wrap you in his righteousness, to then say, oh, that's not enough. Let me pour my spirit into you. Let my spirit walk with you, live with you, breathe with you. If you don't think that's enough, come on. He did all that for us. And so we need to remember what our prayer does. Prayers remind us that we're not in control. That's the rub, I think. Prayer reminds us we're not in control, and it keeps us closer to one. It's all about him. It's not about you. I want to ask John Macy if they would come on up this morning. I need, I need to stop. Here's what it comes down to. Prayer is not so much about my wants as it is God's will. It's not God do 
do this. God, I want this. God, do this. God, I want this. As much as it is, prayer is about getting to know God. And the fact that the God of the universe gives me access to him, to know him through prayer, has to be one of the most mind-blowing thoughts ever. And we take advantage of that. We get frustrated with that. So here's what I remind you of this morning. Anytime that I pray and something doesn't go my way, or there's a prayer, big prayer need in, in my life, I like to look back at the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. You guys know this story, Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego. These teenage boys, they stand before the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, you got to bow, you got to worship my gods, you got to renounce your own God, you got thrown in the fire. So these boys, teenage boys, we call them boys because they were boys, were facing certain death. And look at their prayer. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we not, do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Come on. Hallelujah. The God we serve is able to save us. This is all about God. This is how you know it's all about God. When it's not about God, that's where we stop. We stop right there because it's all about us. God, my wants, my needs, my will, not yours. But look how they continue. This is my favorite part. Verse 18. But even if he doesn't. <laughs> how many of us can say that this morning? Even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Even if he doesn't answer my prayer, guess what? Nothing changes. Even if he doesn't, I'm going to continue to pray in faith. Why? Because I'm not going to believe the lies of the enemy. I'm not going to believe the lies that he doesn't care, he's not interested, he doesn't hear me. Because we know that's not true. Maybe it's not his will. Maybe it's more our want than his one. Maybe he's got something better in store for us. I don't know. But even if he doesn't, won't you stand with me this morning? The lie of the enemy says he doesn't care, he doesn't hear you, he doesn't want that. So every time we pray, we're going to believe God can. Every time we pray, pray we're going to believe all things are possible to God. We're going to believe He can answer your prayer. We're going to believe He's a good God and desires to bless His children. We're going to believe He will. But even if He doesn't, we're going to stand. Even if He doesn't, we're still going to believe. The lie in me wants to trick you and lie so He doesn't care. He doesn't listen why. So you won't believe in Him anymore. And God's saying it's all about faith. Faith over healings, feelings. Faith over doubt. Some of you here this morning, I firmly believe you bought in the lies of the enemy and you've given up on prayer. Maybe there's somebody, unsaved loved one in your family or a friend that you you stopped praying for. He's like, there's no way. No way. He's too far gone. They're too far gone. Maybe there's healing in your life. You've been dealing with certain situation ailment for years and years and years that God just doesn't care. You've given up praying for that. Maybe there's a habit you got had for years. You feel like you can't break this habit. You've given up prayer. Like it, it doesn't. God doesn't care. 
What I want us to do this morning, I want us to take a giant step of faith. We're going to have faith over doubt this morning. We're going to come to the altar. We're going to give it to God. And we're going to make this commitment. Even if he doesn't, I still believe. I want you to walk out of that self-made prison this morning. Come, find you a place to pray. I want you to recommit your prayer life to him. Say, Lord, I'm not going to give up. Even if you don't, I'm still going to believe. I'm believing who you are. What have you given up in prayer for this morning? Would you recommit that to the Lord this morning? Would you join me in prayer? Would you come? Would you come this morning?